It's uh, another great day. I hope, uh, hope you're doing well. Uh, we're excited to be here. And if you're one of our guests, I want to say again uh, how thankful we are uh, to have you in the room today. Over the past few weeks, we've been doing this uh, Who's On First series because baseball is in the air and it's kind of a great time of year. And we've really been enjoying that. I want to go ahead and tell you that uh, next week we start a new series uh, as, as it's almost May. Can you believe that it's almost the month of May? But May is next Sunday. And over the next five weeks as we dive into the month of May, we'll be talking about this idea of grow. And what does it mean for you and I to have a growing relationship uh, with Jesus of Nazareth. So I hope you'll come back uh, next week and join us as we kind of dive into that for a few weeks, thinking about our faith. This is the season and the time of year when, when things are growing and the flowers are blooming and the, the trees are just uh, going crazy. It's a, it's a neat time of year to walk outside and enjoy the beauty of God's creation. And what we want to think about is in our own lives, how do we also grow and become uh, the people that Jesus is calling us to be? But over the past couple of weeks, we've been you know, hanging around this idea of who's on first. And we've talked about the idea that we put God on first when we pray. We put God on first when we forgive. We put God on first when we trust. And I love this, this one picture I saw last week. I asked someone to do a trust fall, and we had several of our ladies take a day, and they, they did this picture of showing that they have each other's back, which I really, really loved. And this is what it means to trust. You know, we need people in our, in our lives who we can trust to carry us to Jesus when we don't have the strength to stand. We need people in our lives uh, who we can trust uh, to be around us and support us and encourage us. And we know that God is someone we can trust. Today, though, we want to kind of turn the page in, and I want to end with uh, just really one final idea of what it means uh, to put God on first. And I'll go ahead and tell you, this may be the hardest concept, and this may be one of uh, your least favorite sermons I'll ever, I'll ever preach. So I want to give a disclaimer. Uh, in baseball, uh, sacrifice is a pretty common idea. Uh, you know this if you're a baseball or a sports fan, but in recent years, sabermetrics has taken off, and basically what that is is, is the analysis of every possible thing you can uh, analyze in baseball. Everything's assigned a number, a numeric value. Uh, for a baseball player, absolutely everything is measured. So every time you step up to the plate, and I forgot my bat, but every time you step up to the plate to take a swing, and if you're Kirk Gibson, you would do this, um, you know, it's, uh, it's measured and it's analyzed. And if you, if you get on base, uh, then that's rewarded with a numeric value. And if you get the second base or a third base or a home run, all that's assigned worth. And even if you don't get on base, but you get what's called a productive out, which means that, that you scored a run or that you moved a runner, that's also assigned a value. And today, more than ever before, those numbers matter because they kind of determine what a player is worth. And when it comes time for a new contract or for a guy to be traded, what they do is they look at those numbers and they assign a value to him. It's really important. So with that in mind, it's even more amazing to me, uh, you know, from the outsider looking in on this game of baseball, to think about the fact that sometimes a player is asked to come up to the plate and get out on purpose. That may sound like a strange concept. But in baseball, sometimes you have to choose to lose in order to win. And so what happens is maybe you've got a guy on first or maybe you have a guy on second or maybe you've got a guy on third you're trying to get home and in order to, to move the runner around the bases or maybe even to get him home to score a run, the manager asks you to either lay down a bunt or maybe to do your best on purpose to hit a pop fly that you know they're going to catch in the outfield, but it's going to allow the runner to tag and to get to the next base or maybe even possibly to get home. And what that's going to do is going to set your team up possibly to win the game. But it means that you have to get put out. And that's going to be reflected in your own personal stats, but you do it for the good of your team. 
And so every day, on every baseball field, on every diamond around America, players every day, you'll see this happen on every team, make a sacrifice for the sake of their team. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about baseball players that have made tremendous sacrifices, there's kind of one guy that rises to the top, and there's probably a lot of guys we could talk about. But even this past week, or I guess maybe two weeks ago now, you saw on every, on every major league team, every player wore the number 42 in honor of a man by the name of Jackie Robinson. And all, a lot of you know his story. It's an incredible story. Jackie Robinson was the first African-American baseball player allowed to play in uh, first the minor leagues and then the major leagues for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, an incredible story of a, of a man who came up and faced incredible, incredible pressure, made incredible sacrifices to be the first man of color to play in what was before that moment in the United States, an all-white sport. And Jackie Robinson is asked to step into the middle of, of this tension, not just in baseball, but in all of America, to come in and to be the first to, to tread these waters and pave the way. And today we celebrate it because of what he did. And so in 1947, April 15th, Jackie Robinson took the field, took the field for the first time with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And just to show you just some of what he did, let me just read a couple of things to give you some framework for this, especially if you're not a baseball fan, this will help you out. One writer said about Jackie Robinson that day, he said it was the most eagerly anticipated debut in the annals of the national pastime. It represented both the dream and the fear of equal opportunity, and it would change forever the complexion of the game and the attitudes of Americans. At the end of his first season, Robinson was named Rookie of the Year. Can you imagine how that went over after just his first season? Uh, he was named the NL MVP just two years later in 1949 when he led the league in hitting with a 342 average and 37 steals while notching a career-high 124 RBIs. The Dodgers won six pennants in his 10 seasons, but you and I both know his contributions clearly, clearly surpassed the baseball diamond. He was an incredible athlete. At UCLA, he played, I think, four different sports. Uh, the owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers was a man by the name of Branch Rickey, and you may know this, but he's said to be a man of faith. And it was said that he, he chose Jackie to come and to be on his team, not just because he was a superior athlete and an incredible baseball player, but he thought that Jackie would have the courage it would take to not fight back, given the ridicule and the racism and the slurs and the pressure that he would face when he played the game of baseball. And I think he was right. Uh, in, in a movie, you may have seen the movie a couple of years ago, 42, about Jackie Robinson and his life. There's one scene in particular that really just jumped out to me when, when they're playing one of their first games against the, the Phillies, the Philadelphia Phillies. Interestingly enough, it's the city of brotherly love. And, and Jackie Robinson steps up to his first plate appearance and the manager for the Phillies gets out of the dugout, Ben Chapman, and begins to scream and hurl insults at Jackie. And every time he comes up to bat, he does it again and again and again. And you're just like, stop, you know? It's unbelievable the pressure and the ridicule that he was under. And it was only after that game when, when, when their team and their organization got such a negative press from the papers that Ben Chapman asked Jackie to, for this photo op. And, and Jackie said, well, we'll do it, but it's going to be on the field in front of everybody. And Jackie said, I tell you what, we'll just hold a bat. That way we don't even have to touch skin, which Ben was okay with. 
And I'm really thankful that because of men like Jackie, we live in a place now where even this idea is a foreign concept to my children, you know, because of the sacrifices that he made along the way. And I know even in this room, we have people in here today, a lot of you know what sacrifice, that word really means. You know, we have people in the room today, and I don't even know who all of you are, but, but you know what it means to sacrifice. You've sacrificed a lot for your family. You've, sacri- you've sacrificed a lot for those in need. You've sacrificed a lot for, for those in your company or those in your organization. You've sacrificed a lot for, for people around you. You've even sacrificed a lot for this church. And some of you know what it is to even have, a sa- made, it, have made a sacrifice for our, our country. And all of those things are good and noble and praiseworthy. Some of you know what it means when I say the word sacrifice. But we also know this, don't we, that as followers of Jesus, we're called, we're called to a different kind of sacrifice. Uh, we're called to, uh, to a, different, a different place of sacrifice, one that's rooted in, in who he is and, 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 and what he's all about and what he's calling us to and, and to his gospel, his message, uh, the centrality of what, what he was truly all about. It's a different kind of sacrifice. And I think if a lot of us in the room were honest, including myself, we would have to say that t- to be completely honest, the idea of sacrifice is one that we're not too familiar with for some of us. And maybe it's because we've grown up in America, the land of, you know, I, I want it my way right away, a land where, you know, my comfort is elevated to the supreme position of importance and anything that threatens that I'm going to step back from. You know, we just live in this, this culture nowadays that's, that really revolves around us and we have this sense of entitlement that we, we almost deserve to have whatever we want. And when we don't get what we want, we take the social media and we complain about it until we get what we want. You know, that's kind of the nature of the world we live in right now and the world that's around us right now. The culture that we live in is this, this sense of, 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 of entitlement, but we serve a savior, don't we? We serve a savior. Who, who, if he wanted to, he could have claimed entitlement at any moment. But he never did. He freely gave of himself. He freely gave of his time. He freely gave of his resources. And in every way, we serve a Savior that knew what it meant to sacrifice. But yet we struggle. In a country that at least at one time was called a Christian nation, if we were to look around today, we would just have to say that's simply not true. And we don't have to get into all the reasons, but we just know that it's not. It's not. It's not that anymore. And, and we could be critical of that, and we could assign blame to that, and we could say all the reasons that that's true and, and, and all the regret we have because of that. But at the same time, I think before we get too critical of our nation or of the, the culture around us, I think we have to look a little more inward. And we even have to say that in our churches, man, sacrifice is something that we're just not very good at, you know? Every church I know is struggling for people to come and volunteer to help make what happens every week happen. Every church I know is struggling financially. People don't give 10% or 5% or even 1% of their income anymore. They're more likely to give to a cause they see on Facebook than they are to the local church, which, by the way, the church is God's mission and vision to save the world. But, but we can't get behind that. Because we don't know what we would do if we were able to give up some of our time or what we would do if we gave up some of our money because if we gave up those things, we wouldn't be able to do what we really want to do and sacrifice for a lot of us. If we're just being honest, it's, it's hard for us. We're not, we're not good at it. We don't really even get it. And, and we hear these words of Jesus today, and, and I'll tell you, they're some of the hardest words we'll ever read. 
They're some of the hardest words I'm sure that ever came off the lips of Jesus to his first hearers. Because it's this call, it's this call to join him in, in a posture, in a position of sacrifice. And so if you have your Bibles, if you have your devices, if you want to flip those on or open those up, we're going to look at some words of Jesus from Mark chapter 8. And again, these are some of the, I think, some of the hardest words that Jesus ever spoke. And as Mark records these words for us, I want them to kind of resonate fresh today in our ears. His calling of what it really means to put him on first. And how we get our hearts and our minds around it today, I think it matters. So in Mark 8, if you look down to verse 34, we read these words that are here for us today. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my followers, this is it. If you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you want to be my follower. Now, I know that in the room today, there are some of you that have been following Jesus for a long time. And so you've probably read these verses before. And I want to remind you of these words of Jesus again today. But there are some of you that maybe you're not a follower of Jesus yet. And and if that's you, I want to just be really clear and really honest about what this means. Because it's, it's not always rosy and it's not always sunshine. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, I want you to know what you're getting yourself into. Because if you want to be a follower of Jesus, it means this. That you give up your own way consistently and constantly. You take up a cross and you follow him. Now, many people believe that Mark was probably the first gospel written, one of the, most, one of the earliest manuscripts that we have uh, in terms of the stories told about Jesus. And the time that, that Mark wrote this, and people would have read this for the first time, this is around the same time that Christians everywhere are dying. This is around the same time that Nero, the emperor of Rome, is, is crucifying Christians in his garden. This is the same time that Rome is trying to reconquer Judea and Galilee, and, and the streets are lined with crosses. And people are being crucified left and right. And so when we hear these words about take up your cross and follow me, we're thinking about the earrings we buy for our daughters or the necklaces we put around our necks or the sticker we put on our, our, on our car and our bumper. But when the first people who read these words that Mark wrote that came from the lips of Jesus and they heard these words, you must take up your cross, I guarantee you terror shot through their hearts. And it wasn't a quick decision. To follow this man, Jesus. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, famous theologian, once wrote in a book, The Cost of Discipleship. He said this, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. And if you thought that following Jesus was anything less than a commitment to taking up a cross... I want you to lean in and hear what Jesus says next. He says in verse 35, if you try, if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. This is a paradox, isn't it? It was countercultural then and it's countercultural now. This idea that we have to give up something of ourselves to, to then get something entirely different. This idea that, well, well, we're just a people, aren't we? That hold on to things tightly. 
We hold on to our money so tightly, we don't want to let it go. We, don't, we can't trust anything except the number in our bank account. We, we hold on to our opinions tightly. We hold on to our ideas and our understandings tightly. We can't let go for fear we might even be wrong. We hold on to everything tightly. We even hold on to our kids tightly. We, we constantly are on top of them. They can't even figure out what it means to be their own person because we're right on top of them. We hold on to everything so tightly. And Jesus says, if you want to find life, real life, the good life, if you want to have the life that I'm offering, if you want to figure out what it means to truly live, if you want to have eternal life, you have to let go. You have to open your hands. Because if you try to hang on so tightly, you're going to lose it. But if you will let go, if you will trust me, if you will let me be who I am, if you'll let me be God and let you be you, then you will find life like you have never ever known before. And then verse 36. And by the way, what do you benefit? What do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Yeah, I think what Jesus is trying to teach us here is that, well, he's trying to invite us into a whole new kind of community, isn't he? A community where where people are willing to lay down their lives for each other. A a community where people know what it is to live sacrificially. A community where when you come in, you're invited to lay it all down at the feet of Jesus, the feet of those around you, and step into a new kind of life, a new kind of community where people know what it is to follow Jesus, to choose a cross, to pick up a cross, and to follow after him. He says, what's it worth if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? You see, Jesus, when he first called Peter, when he first called those first disciples, he saw him on the beach right there by the Sea of Galilee. And he said, hey, come follow me. It was a beautiful, sunny day. And, and maybe for a lot of you, when you first heard the call of Jesus, it was just like that. Maybe you were younger. Maybe you were at a retreat or a summer camp. Maybe you were, you were at the home of your grandparents. I don't know where it was, but it was a beautiful day and you accepted this invitation to call Jesus. But his first invitation isn't his only invitation because once you begin to follow him, he's gonna make this second invitation that says, if you really wanna know what it is to follow me, then I want you to pick up a cross and join me. Because the call of Jesus, let's get this straight this morning. The call of Jesus isn't into a life that's going to be perfect. The call of Jesus isn't a call into a life where you can rub the bottle and the genie pops out. He's going to give you what, he, what you want. The call of Jesus is to join him in a journey that's often filled with suffering. And I, I wish I could say it another way. I wish there was a way, a way around it. A lot of people try to skip over this part of the gospel, but this is just where it is. That if you want to follow Jesus, it means that most often you're going to follow him in the way of the cross. And the way of the cross is a way of suffering for the sake of others and for the glory of God. And this is what it means to follow Jesus. And why? Maybe you're, maybe you're, that's a fair question. Why? Why would Jesus invite you into this kind of life? I think it's because of this reason. There's probably more, but it's at least this. That the chief concern of your Savior is not where you are today but where he wants you to be and who he wants you to be. And and maybe the best way to get you from where you are to where he wants you to be, it's not gonna be the easy way. He's gonna have to take you the hard way because the best way for him to transform you into the image of his son, Jesus, is for you to carry a cross like his son, Jesus. 
And when you walk through the road of suffering, you become more and more like your Savior. And this is the call of Jesus. You want to put him on first? You know how he got to first? He got to first by carrying a cross the whole way there. And if you want to join him there, you got to pick up a cross. And here's the cool thing. He'll walk with you all the way around the bases until you get home. Because his desire is for you to join him on this journey. For you to carry a cross. And for you to become more and more like him every single day. But the idea of suffering, the idea of sacrifice, in a very simplistic, literal way, what does it mean? It means you have to say no to something to say yes to something else, right? And I think for a lot of us, we've got to step into this idea of what is it we've been saying yes to and what is it we need to say no to so we can say yes to something else. For a lot of us, what we do is we say yes to the urgent and we say no to the important. And so what happens in my life, and maybe this happens in your life too, is is something urgent pops up and we say yes to it, but what we say no to is really important. So we'll say yes to this, but what we've said no to just by design, because we can't be two places at once, is we've said no to, to maybe some time with Jesus, a, a, a quiet moment where we can be with him and, and have a relationship with him. Or maybe because we said yes to this in the moment, we've had to say no. We've had, we've had to say no to church. We can't be there. We can't volunteer. We can't serve. We don't have the time to give. Or maybe because we said yes to this, we have to say no to our family. And, and because we said yes to that, and because it's really important and they needed me here, I had to say no to my wife, my kids, my home, my family. And we look back over the story of our life and we realize all that we've built and all that we have, but yet all of that is filled with one word, regret. Because we've, we've, we've set a pattern of saying yes over and over again to what was urgent. And by default, we said no to what was really, really important. And we meant to make sacrifices for Jesus and for his church and for our family. But what we did was we made sacrifices for ourselves. And we said no to him. And we said no to his church. And we said no to our family. And we've looked back over the story of our life and we realize. We realized that while our intention was to be like Jesus and to to sacrifice the right things in the right way, that somehow we missed. We missed. And what I want to call you into today is is an opportunity to to maybe recalibrate your life and ask this question. What do you need to sacrifice for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of his church and for the sake of your family, for the sake of others. What do you need to sacrifice? What do you and I need to sacrifice? A few weeks ago, uh, the news story broke and about this baseball player, uh, Chicago White Sox, Adam LaRoche. Maybe you saw this. It just took the news by storm. Uh, if you know his story, um, He's been an accomplished baseball player his whole career. And one of the things that kind of sets him apart is he'd always, at least for the last five years, brought his son Drake with him uh, to everything, really. In fact, Drake had his own locker next to his dad's locker in the White Sox clubhouse. And he was always there with his dad. He was helping out the team, doing chores, whatever he could do, cleaning, cleaning cleats, shagging fly balls, whatever it was. And then uh, the team executives came to him just a few weeks ago back in March and said, hey, we're going to have to ask you not to bring Drake around so much. And Adam thought about that, and he said it took about 20 minutes, and then he realized, 
I think it may be time for me to retire, if that's the case. But to retire for him and to step away from baseball meant that he would give up $13 million for this season. Essentially, six months of work, uh, he's not going to do it, and, and he's going to lose $13 million because of that. And Adam decided, well, that's okay, because my son and my family are, are more important. And in an interview with, with Adam LaRoche, they asked him that question, like, that, that sounds crazy. Like, people aren't going to understand this, that you're willing to give up $13 million for six months of work because the team wouldn't allow your son to come to practice as often as you would like. How can you explain that? And Adam said in the interview, he said, well, he said, I, I've learned this, that, that no matter how much we have, it's never enough. And I'm not holding Adam LaRoche up as, as a hero or as the one that we should all, you know, be like and imitate. But wow, what a great story. And as a father, I want to take notes when I see other dads putting the priority where it should be on their family, on their wife, on their kids. And then just last week, another new story broke where Adam and a buddy of his went over to Southeast Asia. They spent 10 days undercover rescuing these underage girls from brothels. And, and, and a lot of you know what it is to go on a mission trip. A lot of you adults, a lot of you parents know what it is to go on a mission trip. And, and you know what, how much time it costs you, how much money it costs you. And I can only imagine the impact it had on his son Drake and the, the impact it has on your children when they see your commitment to your faith and to the people around the world who, who are in need that you would give up your time and your resources to go make a difference in the world for the sake of God and for the sake of those who are in need. And it made me think about this, that the whole emphasis of this whole series has been on this idea that if we want to put God first, we've got to figure out what that means in terms of our faith and of our family. But I can guarantee you this, that if you want your children to be transformed in the image of Jesus Christ, it starts with you. And that you and I have to first be the ones committed to being transformed into the image of Jesus of Nazareth, And I believe that this is true. I know it doesn't always hold fast. It's not always going to be perfect. But I believe that largely this is true, that when when you are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ and your children see that, they will have that same opportunity to follow in your steps, to also be transformed into the image of Jesus. And so I just want to ask you, I want to ask you, what, what do you need to reprioritize this week in your life? Because I believe it's true. We put God on first when we sacrifice for the sake of others and the glory of God. But for you and I, we've got to decide. We've got to decide that we sacrifice the right things. We say no to the right things so we can say yes to the best things. That we, we, we can choose. We can choose what we sacrifice so that we put God on first. And that in denying ourselves, that we truly find who we are in Christ. Church, if you would, just let's stand together. You know, if you're anything like me, this is difficult because sacrifice isn't easy. You know, I tend to elevate comfort to the highest level. And, you know, I complain about first world problems when the cable goes out or the batteries die on the remote and I have to get off the couch. You know, even the smallest things drive us crazy. But what God is calling us to is a kind of sacrificial living that puts his son Jesus at the center of our very lives. And it's the same call I want to echo today. 
that we would say to Jesus that we lay down our lives, that we give him all that we are, and we step into this life of following him, even when it's hard, of taking up our cross and shouldering our load to suffer in the name of Jesus. And when we do that, it's a light to the world around us because we handle life differently and we go through the difficult times differently and people see that in us. And when they see that in us, what they see is Christ in us. And that's the call today, to let Jesus and his cross shine through in our lives for the sake of others and for the glory of God.